everyone. Welcome to another episode of Space Flicks. This is the podcast where we talk about a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to a lonely astronaut in space. And potentially into the great beyond as or well. The great, or the great before, right? Yes. All the directions. <laughs> just just blasting it through dim- dimensions and, and planes of existence. That's right. Um, Are we right. have a very powerful ra- uh, antenna transmitter it goes so all if, the if, if you couldn't guess from our very subtle clues just now uh we're going to be talking disney's soul pixar's soul disney pixar yeah disney's pixar's soul um mm-hmm. starring rolls off the tongue <laughs> jamie fox and tina fey um released on disney plus i do not think this movie was originally intended to be released on disney plus but of course, right. we're living through a global pandemic. Theaters are shut down. So uh, that's where it came out. And that um, worked out just fine for us because I know you and I both have Disney Plus. So mm-hmm. it was easy to get. And this is from director Pete Doctor, who I think I think that's the director of Up, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, several, several Pixar classics. Uh, Up, several. among one of them, Inside Out, Monsters, Inc., oh, Inside Wally. Out. I should have led with that one. That's, I would. I think Inside Out is his best. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think putting you on the pe- spot. Yeah, okay. I think Inside Out is probably going to be the one that, like, goes on the, like, is like the 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 capstone on the, on if not just of his career, but like of the Pixar canon. Yeah, right? Inside Out is um, pretty great. Yeah, and he helped. Uh, sorry, he helped write Wally. Um, and gotcha. so, yeah, he's just, he's been a part of, uh, you know, the Pixar creative the Pixar family. Yeah. For, for quite some time. All right. So let's talk. Um, what well, is I it? think the thing to call out is it's actually got, it's actually got two directors. This movie has, oh. it has, um, it's Pete doctor and a gentleman named Kemp powers. Okay. Well. I didn't, I did not realize that. Thank you for pointing that out. So co-directed by Pete Doctor and Kemp Powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, Was it, the is that is that in the credits? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Wow. The uh, the word on the street, like the basic, the sort of uh, the party line that Pixar gives about this is that the the movie wasn't working, mm. and they realized that their main character was sort of blank, like all these other things that were happening around him were interesting but they're like we don't we realized we didn't have a good handle on our main character and therefore the whole thing didn't work Mm. and so they apparently brought in this gentleman kemp powers who is a relatively recently emerging uh writer and director he also wrote the soon to be released uh one night in miami that's coming out in a few days um and so uh they brought this guy in and he helped them flesh it out in very different ways. So at any rate, I just sort of want to call out that this is a little bit of a departure from a Pixar perspective because usually they rely on their sort of stable of directors. Yeah, that's you know, right. And uh, this is sort of a new addition to the mix with um, with this uh, Kemp Powers fella. Okay. Well, thank you for educating me. I, I would have missed out on all of that, <laughs> it's, which is hilarious because I even have the IMDb page in front of me and I just clearly wasn't looking at it very clearly, very closely. 
because I was like, yeah, Pete Doc. I think I'm so I'm so desensitized to like. There's often lots of names, especially with writers, you yeah. know, where some where I think I've kind of trained my brain to be like the first name is the main one, and then there's a bunch of other sort of like, you know, or producer. That's probably a, a even better like example where you just right. get all these like producer credits tacked on, right? And you're like, those don't those aren't real. Those are just people who you know, did a favor or paid some money or something and got their name tacked onto the end. But anyway, yes. So Pete, Dr. Kemp powers. Um, let's, uh, and here I'll, I'll also just now that we're like 30, you know, <laughs> now that we're five minutes into the episode, I'll read the synopsis of the movie and then we'll get into the review. So yep. a musician who has lost his passion for music is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. So Adam, what were your expectations going into this movie and what were your first impressions coming out? So um, one of the things that was most sort of surprising about the trailer for this film is that they give away the plot point that the main character is going to die Mm -hmm. like very early. Um, And so in that regard, uh, I I felt like I, I fully expected this to be a movie that, you know, because it's got these fun looking animated souls during, you know, parts of the film that like kids will be able to enjoy because of it's like bright colors and fun shapes. Right. And I'm sure it's going to have good jokes. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, I expected to be fully emotionally destroyed by <laughs> this movie. Yeah. Um, because any movie, uh, uh, that, you know, any Pixar film, especially where, a character is sort of forced to contemplate like the trajectory of their life and did it have like the meaning that they wanted it to have. I just, it just feels like, you know, weeper material to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, that's sort of what I expected. And especially when, you know, the trailer fully laid out the fact that this is a character who wants to be a musician, never got his big break, never sort of made it. Um, and now he's facing down sort of the barrel of eternity, you know, with facing that reality. It just felt like, uh, the, the type of regret that a grown up is capable of that a <laughs> child is not mm-hmm. right. Uh, it's, it's just like, well, this is going to tap directly into that and, and make me feel sad feelings. Right. Um, and so that was, that was the, experience I expected to have. Uh, I didn't, Mm -hmm. I don't really feel like I had that experience. Um, it was a much, um, it was much lighter than I, for a movie about like (laughs) the end of your, yeah. yeah, For the movie about the end of your existence, uh, it was much lighter and more fun than I kind of expected it to be. Um, and had elements of, you know, buddy comedy and heist that Mm -hmm. um, struck me as being much uh, just more sort of mainstream than I realized. Now, there's tons of really complicated ideas in here, uh, but, and sort of very poetic, beautiful things in here, but I ultimately found it to be like a much, you know, lighter watch than, you know, Inside Out or Up, right? Mm -hmm. Which I find to be, you know, much more sort of very very heavy and emotionally affecting movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think I, I had a similar kind of arc. Um, 
think I expected certainly I would say inside out is probably among my favorite Pixar movies. It might be, it might be my favorite or it's, it's really close. Right. So yeah, I just view it as like a really, really, um, thought provoking and, but also entertaining and funny and, um, profound movie, um, that presents such a great, it, it, it does such a great job doing the thing that Pixar does, which is sort of, you know, presenting like an alternate world, but fully realized. And in, in the case of inside out, like encapsulating ideas so simply yet so elegantly, um, yeah. with like these emotions personified, you know, in these characters, um, I was, I, I, and I was expecting for soul, I was expecting sort of like the inside out of, um, you know, if inside out is like that, pro- that formula applied to like the inner life, the inner world of a human mind, I right. thought soul would be like that process applied to like the, the idea of something greater, you know, the idea of like something beyond this, this reality that we know. Yeah. Um, and I think it, uh, it was a lot of fun, but I, I think afterwards, similar to you, like I, I, I didn't feel like it was necessarily, it didn't pack an emotional wallop for me, nor did it make me sort of like reflect or ruminate or, or feel like it kind of opened my mind to any, you know, or, or explored any concepts to like greater depths, you know, than I'd ever explored them before. Um, in the way that inside out kind of made me feel, although I, I guess that latter part, I, I don't know, even as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm like, did inside out really like strike me as profound? Maybe not, but I think definitely on the first point on the emotional wallop, I think inside out hit me a lot harder. This one uh, to, to borrow your language, I'd say felt a lot lighter. It feels, yeah. it, it felt like, yeah, kind of like a light and fluffy and airy kind of exploration of, you know, the soul and purpose and like what we're here for and, you know, yeah. what makes us special and those kinds of things. But, but nothing super deep, nothing that's going to like make you really go like, wow, I never thought about that, you know? Right. Um, and as for the emotions, um, I mean, for the most part, I would say this film is filled with things that I felt were happy. I don't think it dwelled on the sad stuff as much as maybe a lot of Pixar movies do. There's definitely some sad stuff in it. Um, Yeah, like a movie like Inside Out, you know, the climax of the film ends with like this deeply cathartic emotion that the main character experiences, which is this combination of, you know, profound joy and profound sadness simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think as a person watching that and sort of realizing that this is basically the first time this child has experienced such a complex feeling. And then you realizing like both that, like that's a beautiful thing, but also a sad thing because she can't experience life as simply ever again. Right. Right. Um, that's like this very profound moving feeling. And I was thinking about other Pixar movies that have had that effect on me. I think the first 10 minutes of up were obviously very famous for this. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but I would say like 
I, I had a similar reaction to the movie Coco, right? Mm. Where, you know, just this concept of um, being forgotten as, you know, the final death. Right. And the final, per, and, and sort of the journey of the the main character as he's trying to, like, will his great-grandma to, like, not lose her hold on something it just like it's it's so it's so desperate and so elemental right Mm -hmm. and it's just like these like really profound deep emotions right and it's not these aren't intellectual exercises that like you're having like yes they're very intellectually advanced movies frankly i think they're very sophisticated but really the thing that's like breaking through that's like changing the way you feel like that changing you in some way is like changing your emotions in some like very yeah. visceral way. Yeah. And I don't feel like soul is really attempting to, to play in that arena. I don't think it's trying to like, you know, like change your emotional chemistry in any real way. I feel like it's extremely clever, extremely heartfelt, but I don't feel like it's trying to say like, I'm going to reconfigure the molecular structure of your emotional like yeah. quilt. Yeah. Uh, I just totally mixed my metaphors, but you get the idea. Um, to uh, yeah, like I feel like it's much more straightforward than that. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Okay, so I think we both were maybe prepared for something a little more hard hitting than something a little more like Inside Out or Coco, right? Right. And what we got um, was instead maybe more like I don't know what's another lighter. Pixar film, <laughs> like Toy Story one, <laughs> Toy Story two. You know what I mean? Toy yeah, Story like, two, sure. Um, which which I watched recently. Um, yeah, it it's sort of like more in the Monsters Inc. kind of like emotional mm-hmm. caliber, right? Like it's definitely heartfelt and definitely very very. Uh, nobody would, I wouldn't. You know, it's not cynical and it's not vacuous, right? Um, but it's just not like this profound like arrow directly into the heart of your soul right it's more, right it's more yeah simple. i think that's probably i mean it's got to be like the name the title and the subject matter were a big part of that my expectations just like oh they're doing a movie about soul like this is this is for sure going to be in that you know in that category but um not so much but i don't think that's necessarily a problem i mean uh i, I definitely liked the movie would you say you liked the movie yeah, for sure. Okay. Yes. Okay. Just just making sure, just kind of like calibrating there because it's a rare Pixar film that I don't like. In fact, I don't know that I could name any that I didn't like. Um, although I haven't seen Cars 2 or 3. So, Cars 2 was is not good. Legi- is legit bad. All right. I well, I still, but I'm still batting a thousand for liking them because I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Um, so, Moving on from that, then, in terms of our our initial reactions, um, let's talk a little bit about the themes of the movie. So, um, what would you say? Is there a central theme for you, or one or two themes that stood out? Uh, I think the the movie does an interesting switcheroo toward the end, where um, the movie uh, just to sort of quickly do a uh, description of a plot element that once our main character, Joe, uh, dies in an unfortunate manhole cover accident, um, 
he uh, figures out, he ends up through a series of events in a place where, uh, called the Great Before, where souls uh, are produced that um, are going to eventually belong to people on Earth. And those souls need to develop a certain number of characteristics before they're sort of ready, before they're baked fully enough to be able to be paired with a body on Earth. And uh, one of those traits that every soul needs to have is what they call in the great before, they call it a spark, right? You must have a spark before you're ready to go to Earth. And you've got to figure out what your spark is, right? And so uh, the, the sort of main thing in the film is, is Joe, through a series of events, needs to help us a soul that he is paired with help it find its spark and um and at one point he starts to conflate and the movie does a very subtle job of this it starts to conflate this idea of a spark sort of the thing that gets you going gets you excited about being on earth Mm -hmm. and he and he starts calling that uh your purpose right and so the movie for the first two thirds of it is seemingly about trying to find purpose for a person, right? What is your reason for existence, mm-hmm. right? And um, and twenty two, the soul that he's paired with gets increasingly convinced that she'll never find this purpose, right? She's not. She doesn't have one, and life is meaningless to her. Mm-hmm. And then. Toward the end of the film, I'm going to make the spoiler bell now. Okay. The spoiler alert. Uh, the movie does a clever clarification, which is uh, a spark isn't a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. It never was. No one ever said that it was. You've just projected that. You've projected the thing that you are in, that sort of gets you up in the morning and makes you interested in doing stuff, maybe gets you like into life that that is also like the thing that is your reason for existence. Mm-hmm. And the movie sort of very clearly at that point is asserting like the stuff that you're into isn't like your purpose, isn't like a reason for existence. That's oversimplified, mm-hmm. right? And that to me is the clever sort of theme that the film is laying out while the entire time talking about how it is ostensibly uh like they think they're searching for one thing and they're and they don't realize that they should be searching for something slightly different yeah um and that to me was like one of the the prevailing themes that i thought the movie did a great job hammering home because the entire time they're looking for it it's like extremely that they're looking for purpose it's like extremely elusive and difficult and then when you realize that the thing that they should be looking for is not uh a purpose, but instead a spark, instead just something that excites you about life. Um, it takes on a very different tone, very different sort of color to it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I guess the theme is, is that kind of revelation that, um, as you put it, like your spark, the thing that gets you going is not your purpose. And I guess that, you know, it's like, why would a movie make that point? Well, because many people think that it is, right? Many people right. assume that it is. Um, and I think specifically 22, 
she when she does end up on Earth with him in a body in in his body actually, right? Um, she discovers that you know the experience of being alive on Earth. There's so much about it that sort of couldn't be explained to her when she was just a soul, right? Right. Like the taste of pizza, the right. the the feeling of just like sitting on a summer day looking up at the sky and and seeing right. the leaves and the trees, right? Yep. She the the feeling of just walking, right? She right. loved it turns out she loves all these things and she's like maybe th- this can be my spark, you know, maybe like walking can be my right. spark. And, and she and she very pointedly in the script uses the word purpose, right? Maybe that's mm-hmm. my purpose. And mm-hmm. he's like, "Well, that's mm-hmm. not really like a purpose, right?" Right, 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 right. But so, she's exactly right actually. Yeah, so the movie, I think that's kind of the point that the movie's making is that you know, the there's there's maybe a lot of pressure in some ways to kind of figure out what you can do to be like useful or to sort of like some skill that you need to have that you can apply and that kind of justifies your existence. But the movie's like saying that's that's not a thing you have to do, right? <laughs> like right. what makes us what makes life worth living is is whatever we find in it that that we find worthwhile, right? Right. Um I think another interesting theme in the movie um I don't know if it's related to that. I feel like it's sort of related to that, although it might just be an independent point, but they make a they make um there's there's a whole kind of like subplot through the movie of being um being lost or like losing your spark, I guess, or or just becoming an aimless like lost soul. Yeah. Right? And they also talk about um the concept of flow state, which I think is mm-hmm. kind of a neat thing for a Pixar movie to talk about. Yeah. Um but it's a thing that, you know, is sort of something that supposedly like athletes experience, musicians, like people who do something that requires a, a high amount of skill and a high amount of concentration, but how humans can sort of like do it to such a degree that they almost like lose their conscious awareness of, you know, what's going on around them or like their sense of time or things like that. And they sort of enter this different mental state, right. which is called flow. And I think the movie, the makes zone, an, the movie yeah, calls it the zone, the right? zone, right. Um, the movie makes an interesting point that, that these two things are connected that like you can like being in the zone is good, but you can Mm -hmm. be in the zone for too long and then you can just become a lost soul. Like, right. Just searching for the zone constantly. Right. And I don't remember if the movie makes any explicit, gives any explicit examples of this. I mean, you know, the one sort of funny one is this dude who's just like a sign twirler. And he's like right. so into twirling the sign that he kind of loses his connection to reality. But I mean, there's people, there's certainly like people who are obsessed, who become obsessed with whatever their passion is. And I think, I think the movie is kind of calling attention to how like 
we, you know, the, the idea of having a passion and pursuing your passion, pursuing your dreams is, is very much glorified in our culture. But yeah. there are also people who pursue their passion to the exclusion of all else. And right. it becomes consuming and their lives actually become kind of hollow because, right. you know, whatever it might be, whether it's, a, you know, professional success in their career, like there's a, there's a, mm-hmm. I think I, the movie, I, I realized the movie does give an explicit example because it's this dude, this like this day trader, right? right. Or like a stockbroker, stockbroker, yeah. right? Who's just sitting in front of a computer, just like clicking and doing trades or whatever. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I totally believe, I, I think there are people who have that profession who probably get into something that you might say resembles a flow state of just like, right. yeah. all I'm thinking about is the numbers, you know, yeah. going up and down, trying to like get the right opportunities. And when, when he snaps out of it, he's like, I'm free. And he like throws his computer <laughs> off his desk, you know, and goes flips tables. Yeah. yeah. Goes kind of prancing out of the office. But anyway, I think that's another theme of the movie. The idea of, um, of there being kind of almost like a, a fine line or like a, a, a bit of a danger zone there, you know, yeah. um, that, uh, that I think most movies, certainly most children's movies, family movies don't really acknowledge where right. it's like, there is a risk. There is, there is a threshold of pursuing the thing you love too much, you know? Yep. Um, so that was another one. Yep. Any others worth discussing? Music? Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) jazz and jazzing, um, Mm -hmm. is a, I, I don't really know, um, that it, that it's a i mean certainly it uh, that is one of the um pieces of raw material that the movie uses is jazz right but for a movie for a character that loves jazz and wants to talk about jazz and wants to do jazz in his life and uses jazz and, and like the the fact that the characters start use using the word jazz as a verb <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. the movie um i don't feel like the movie is really like in any way like about jazz. No. Right. It's just, it's not, the and it's thing not like that, structurally jazzy really. Right. right. And it's not even like, uh, yes, there's some improvisatory elements to their behavior, but that's just called life. Right. Mm-hmm. Which maybe is kind of the point, right? Life is a giant improvisation that you're doing all the time. Right. Um, but I don't, but that being said, I don't view jazz, jazz as like a theme of the film i view it more just as like the backdrop for this particular character and his particular enthusiasms yeah i think the closest it comes to being a part of a theme is just that he's he in in the beginning you know when he's just teaching the like middle school class or whatever he um talks about his experience as a boy going to see this jazz you know pianist and um, he starts playing like a passage, which I sort of interpreted as him doing his own thing. But he might have been playing what the guy played. I don't know. But sure. in any case, he kind of like gets lost in the piece or he doesn't get lost, but he plays this very just like beautiful piece of piano music right. um, that sort of the way the way it's, you know, quote unquote filmed like, mm-hmm. you know, 
it almost like the the digital you know the the virtual camera starts kind of like floating mm-hmm. and and it sort of zooms in on the kids like faces and um and it's like sort of like presenting the feeling of kind of getting lost in the music and then later in the film you know he's playing with like a jazz quartet i think yeah. and again like it's like time for the piano solo and he kind of gets lost you know right. he sort of gets carried away with it and i think I think I'm, I say this as a not real jazz expert and not really a big lover of jazz. So I might be out of my element here, but I think that's a bit of the beauty of jazz and, and kind of what that theme I was talking about earlier is, is that it's almost like this art form of like kind of getting lost in the zone, you know, right. and allowing yourself to sort of get lost in that flow state a little bit, but then coming back, you know, yeah kind of like getting lost and coming back. And and that feels much more like a part of jazz than about any other genre of music that I can think yeah, of. That so, seems right. So I think it fits with that thematically. That's a good point. The, the other big, th- the other uh, thing that I would call out as being a sort of theme of the film, uh, just as the characters are spending all their time uh, trying to help sort of unite Joe with his reason, what he believes his reason for being is, right? There's this sort of um, dark mirror thread that's also going through the film, which is this idea of he could accept a life uh, that's not that, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the life that the principal of his school and his mother and her friends sort of all are pushing him into, Right. Which is just do this thing that will, you know, pay the bills and allow you to be sort of responsible, dependable person. uh, And that's the thing that you should do. And the movie, I think, pretty unequivocally um, looks at that and says, like, don't do that. Right. Yeah. (laughs) um, That's not, you know. Like while maybe life, the purpose of life isn't to get lost in the zone while you're playing jazz in a club, right? That might not be the purpose of life, but it's definitely also not doing a thing you don't love, right? Like, yeah, like, like settling for a thing that, you know, you don't like doing right. Well, I, I agree with that, but I think, um, for me to deviate a little bit from the segment we're in, this is almost like fix the movie territory. I will say, firstly, that's like a very familiar message, right? I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's plenty of movies that basically give the message like, don't settle for a practical thing. Like do the thing that actually, you know, lights a fire within you. Right. Right. But I'm like, it sure is convenient from a storytelling standpoint to like, choose for your main character just like a single guy who just like doesn't have any nobody's relying on him he doesn't have like a family to support or anything it's just like if that's the guy you're talking about and the the primary source of pressure for him to like do the do the sort of like safe thing is just his mother his disapproving who just like wants him to do that you know yeah I'm like, I don't know. It seems like he has an apartment. It seems like he is okay. Like, there's really no reason. There, there's no, like, conflict here, really, other than right. a nagging mom. You know, it's like, right. 
it's like obviously do what you love. Like there's nothing preventing you from doing that. There's no that. downside. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I would contrast it with a movie that I feel like does just like a great job at this is Moana actually. Yeah. yeah. Where she, where it's like, you know, um, you have a responsibility as the chief, you know, you're going to be the chief of this tribe, you know? And in that film, I really love like that song that she's singing because it's like she, she wants to be a good chief, you know? And, yeah. and I think the movie is kind of Moana to me is like a better example of like, you have these competing forces of like, you yeah. do want to do the responsible thing, but she also feels this like call to like, you know, to the sea or, what, or right. whatever. Right. And it turns out in the end of the movie, like they end up figuring out, they, they tie those things together where it's like, this is what the tribe needed, you know? Right. And like, I, I was actually doing what was best for the tribe, but like in soul, it's just like, all right, you have these two choices. One is just accept this job. Cause it's a responsible thing to do, even though like nobody needs you to make that decision. Right. right? There's no responsibility or sense of obligation you should have to like settle in your life or just do the thing that like anybody would cheer you on for doing. Right. Which right. is pursuing your dream. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like the movie it's does It's a fake try. conflict to me. Yeah, I feel like the movie does try to put a more tangible version of this conflict at one point in the character of Dez, right? Who's the barber. Because mm. um, he specifically says at one point, he's like, I, you know, to put it in the language that the movie's using elsewhere, he's like, I thought that my purpose would be to be a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joe, in response to that, like, well, actually, it's 22 in response <laughs> right. to that, uh, so is, you know, a little bit heartbroken by that, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you didn't get to do the thing that you wanted to do. I'm so sad for you, Yeah, right? And Des is like, whoa, 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 let's be clear. Like, that's just the thing that, you know, professionally I was interested in doing but I really like the job that I have. And what mm-hmm. I really care about more than any of those things is the fact that like I have a daughter and I needed to take care of her. And right. that's like the thing that really um, motivated my decision-making and I'm very happy doing yeah. what I'm doing. Right. And making the choices I've made. And so the movie there is basically saying like, look, you know, making the, professionally responsible choice sometimes is like the right thing to do because it, because your, your, um, your purpose, like the thing that is your reason for existence, like your job is just sort of an incidental part Mm -hmm. of that. And your reason for existence is more about like family and the connections that you're making in this barbershop, for example. Right. Like, yeah. uh, Yeah. I think that's like a nice response to, the premise that many people have of like, I think there's a lot of people who would, who would say something to the effect of like, isn't it sad how many people are like doing jobs that like aren't the jobs they wanted, you know, right. Or aren't jobs that they love. And the premise is almost like if everyone were doing the job that they loved, then everyone would be happy. But I think it's sort of like, eh, for some people, it's really not going to be about the job at all you know right right um they could do the thing that they most wanted to do or they could do a different thing but like what's really going to affect that that's not the lever that controls you know 
whether their life is one that they're going to find fulfilling, you know, right. that's going to be, right. it's a t- totally wrong axis, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, I agree. I kind of forgot about that guy actually <laughs> forgot yeah. about that little scene in the barbershop. I also liked how that ends with, you know, um, what's his name? What's the main character's name? I'm blanking. Joe. Joe saying like, Oh, I just thought you liked jazz, you know, cause like we always talk about jazz and the guy's like, well, that's just because that's all you ever talked about. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, anyway. Why did, right. Why did I know that stuff about your family and your life? You never asked. You never asked me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, okay, so I think we've talked quite a good amount about themes. Uh, shall we get on to best parts of the movie? Sure, you go first. I had one in my head that has since vacated, so I need a minute to think. Okay, you, you can first. think while I'm talking. Yeah. Although, what was I going to say for best parts of the movie? I mean, I actually think um, the music, his piano playing, I really loved, I got to say. Yes. Um, yeah. In, I thought in, they did the jazz really well. Yeah. Like, like the, mu- the performances. Yep. The the very beginning, that, that scene with the class, when he's just like helping them to understand the majesty of jazz. Yeah. And he starts playing the piano. I'm like, I am really into this. This is beautiful, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and again, you know, like when he's playing with, uh, I think Dorothy Williams, Dorothea, yeah. Dorothea Williams, um, you know, he gets another opportunity to do his solo and, you know, kind of get lost in it. And those parts, I, I, I really enjoyed the music. I really, it's almost like, wow, you know, you're helping me to understand how amazing this this sort of you know style of music can be because like I said earlier I'm not a huge jazz head right. um, uh, or at all really I should say I actually used to I mean you know this about me but I used to play jump drums in the jazz band like at school and in college and it was I always felt like I was faking it you know right <laughs> like I, I got pretty good I can play jazz drums pretty well but I'm like I know this isn't how it's supposed to feel <laughs> to play right. the drums with jazz. I'm just like doing it technically, right. but, um, but I'm like, I'm not feeling whatever's flow is supposed to be flowing through like the whole band right now, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I think it, all that to say it's all the more, I, I, I appreciate all the more that the movie got me to really enjoy the jazz music. Yeah. Um, because, because yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. So that must've meant it was, it was really something special. Yeah. Whenever like a, a character in a movie is an artist and they're supposed to be really, really good at it. Like whether they're a singer or especially musicians in movies, like it's really hard to like persuade an audience that like the person is excellent mm-hmm. in what they're doing. Right. Because it's like, because movies are movies yeah. and they're not their 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 core competence is like the fact that they are great they're like the technicians around them are mm-hmm. movie makers not mm-hmm. musicians right. and so it's like to con- to communicate like musical excellence in a film by people who are not musically excellent generally right right, right? it's like really hard to do so it's it it's um it's all the more impressive when movies do manage to capture like great playing and great musicianship because it's like, Oh, this is usually like sort of a, a gesture toward greatness, like right. the idea of greatness, but we're not right. actually 
seeing greatness. And this movie does do a good job of communicating like both. I think as a viewer, you're watching something and you're like, this is actually good. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the character is so enraptured by it. And you're sort of, you understand why he could feel that way. Right. Yeah. I wonder, tell me if you think this is not a correct application of what you're saying. Um, but like, I often feel in movies when someone gives a speech and people are like applauding to the speech, it almost never works for me because, because I'm like, this is not a very good speech. It's not like one that people would actually applaud to. And I'm realizing like, it's cause it's like a screenwriter writing a speech for a scene where like the people have to clap because it's in the script you know where whereas like in real life if someone's trying to write a speech that's going to like inspire people you know they're writing it for it to be like an amazing speech and like they're going to try to present it in like an amazing way you know and and the because they have to earn the applause for real so that to me feels like an example of what you're saying where like these speeches are like they're not actually great you know right um it's 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 so it's rare i think in the same way to see like a speech in a movie that's like truly a rousing inspirational you know thing that that would really get a real audience to stand up and applaud you know like um there's so many scenes in so many movies where somebody does something that's ostensibly impressive and an onlooker is like wow Mm -hmm. you're amazing right like that happens all the time in movies and generally like they have to have that second character there right. to say you're amazing because otherwise the convey, audience, yeah, right. The otherwise the audience be like, "Is this good? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this is good, right?" Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but in this particular movie, like, yes, they do have the characters looking on with sort of Spielberg face awe, mm-hmm. right, at Joe. But I but like at the same time, I don't think anybody at any point in the film says, "Wow, you're really good at piano," <laughs> right? Like, no. he just. He just is. He knows he is. Yeah. Right. And um and he can jump right to like and this feeling of sort of ecstasy that I experience when I am playing, you know, that's sort of the thing that I'm chasing all the time. Yeah. So did you remember the thing you were I did. gonna say? Okay. I did. One of my favorite parts in the film, uh, and this is like classic uh watching a movie with your daughter, uh kind of moment in a Pixar movie is there's a scene after he has, uh, through a bunch of events managed to actually perform with Dorothea Williams, like live in concert at the, what's it called? The half note, the, the jazz club. And sounds right. So they, which incidentally, I think the montage of that show is fantastic because Mm. it's like, it's like you actually see like different jazz numbers that are being played. And sometimes he is the soloist and sometimes he's just the accompanist. And mm-hmm. like, it's, it's just excellently done. Like it feels like a real concert that they're seeing that they're taking clips of. Yeah. But anyway, so after the whole thing ends, he goes outside with all the other musicians and his mom and her friends and everybody sort of disperses and is congratulating one another. And he's standing there with Dorothea Williams, the lead saxophonist in the ensemble. And he has sort of a, a letdown kind of moment, mm-hmm. right? Where he's like, 
uh, I thought I would feel different mm-hmm. after finally achieving the thing. Yeah. Cause she even, you know, on stage prior to that moment tells him like, welcome to the quartet, right? Like yep. you've made it. Like now you can play jazz every night forever, you know, yeah. as long as yeah, you yeah, want to yeah, be part yeah, of this yeah. quartet. And that's like what he's been chasing. And he says like, I, I thought I'd feel different. And then she tells him a story about a fish in search of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Right. And in the story that she tells him, the little fish in search of the ocean encounters a larger fish or another fish doesn't matter. And the other fish is like, this is the ocean. Yeah. You're in it. <laughs> you're in it right now. And the other, the original fish says, no, 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 this is just water. I wanted the ocean. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the story. Yeah. Right. That w- I thought that was, I, I'd never heard that story before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought it was absolutely beautiful yeah. Right. And totally representative of what the movie was about. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course my, my seven year old is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get the story. What, what then that she you? didn't finish the story. Right. right. Um, and, like, oh, but, but she did. <laughs> oh, but she did. Right. And that was one of my favorite scenes in the film because I felt like, um, that I, we've spent 90 minutes or whatever, or close to that up to that point, like chasing something. And then yeah, to hear that for the story, ocean. yeah. And then to hear that story and realize, like, you're in the ocean all the time, mm-hmm. right? You found it. Um, it's just a matter of what you're calling it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Was just so that that to me was probably the most like profound bit of dialogue in the film for me, um, and the and again the fact that she just gets in a cab. And it's like, yeah, she's bye. like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I loved it. Yeah. I, I, I well, I, I will first say I basically forgot about that story. So thank you for reminding me. Uh, and I can't say it's one of my favorite parts of the movie cause I didn't even remember it, but I do, yeah. I do really like, like that story. Um, but I also do remember him saying like, so, so what do we do now? And she's like, well, we just do the exact same thing again tomorrow. <laughs> You know, right. And, and it being like, when you, when you put it that way, well, it's such like a, to me, it's like a a Rorschach test a little bit where it's like, how does that sound to you? We just do the same thing again tomorrow. It's like, there's something so mundane sounding Mm -hmm. about that and can be so disappointing if you're, if you're hoping for some sort of, you know, well, now we go on a world tour and it's going to be a completely different, crazy adventure every day, you know? Right. Versus like, nope, we're going to go back in that exact same club we were just in. I'm going right. to do another set and people are going to enjoy it, you know? Yep. But, um, but it's like, does that sound terrible to you or does that sound like exactly what you want, you know? Right. And for her, I think, you know, the movie clearly positions her as like someone who knows exactly what she wants. Right. It's like, what I want is to get back up on that stage. And aren't we so fortunate? Shouldn't we be like thrilled to be Mm -hmm. so lucky that that's what we get to do? We get to go up there and play another set of jazz tomorrow night. And, you know, there's nothing better. Right. Right. But he's, but he's clearly the fish looking for the ocean. Who's like, wait, that's that thing I just did. I just do that more. And that's, that's the end, you know? Right. Um, which is interesting. I almost thought at some point that the movie was going to 
explore the idea that like music wasn't his thing, you know? Right. I think, well, it, I, I think it I came think, about around when, when that revelatory line was spoken, like, Oh, your spark isn't your purpose. And yeah. then, and then shortly after that, he's sort of like, no, I swear music is my thing. Like I know it is, you know? Right. And I was almost like, wow, is the movie going to start to like veer into this territory of like music isn't a thing that he can really like, you know, find right. joy from in life. But I don't think it really did explore that too much. Yeah. I think the movie, it, it, it's that smart distinction between your spark and your purpose are different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like the things that you enjoy doing, it's great that you enjoy doing them. That's fantastic. Right. But you enjoying an activity, right. Cannot be your purpose. Like that's not a purpose in life. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that's sort of the interesting sort of distinction that uh, he starts to grasp at the moment that she tells him that story. Yeah. You know, because it's like, yeah, we get to do this activity that we really like. If you're looking for this activity to be the thing that governs your sense of purpose in this world, you're going to be disappointed. Right. right. Yeah. If you were, if you. <laughs> Sorry, my where my mind just went is uh, a Saturday Night Live sketch. I'm guess guessing you haven't seen, but it uh, is Adam Sandler as this like tour guide who's talking uh-huh. about these it- Italian tours, and he's like, "But here's the thing, though. Like, if you're unhappy now, you will probably also be unhappy in Italy." <laughs> Like, and then it's just like, it's like, if you don't like the way you look in a bathing suit, you know, then like when you're on an Italian beach, you also won't like the way you look in a bathing suit. (laughs) Right. And I feel like, I don't know. I just thought of that sketch because it makes me think of this. Like if you were not fulfilled before, you know, Mm -hmm. and playing jazz music didn't like, you know, fill this void in your life, then like. The fact that you're doing it on a stage in a club in front of people Mm -hmm. is probably not going to fulfill you. You know, it's like that you're the same person, right? Yeah. So, um, it is interesting. I don't know. I don't know that the movie really leaves it as like, I don't know that we know what would really truly fulfill Joe, but, um, yeah, I mean, we know that right. he loves jazz, right? I think there's sure. no doubt about that, and he's a gifted pianist. But um, the movie does kind of present that notion that, like, whatever you were dealing with before, before you got this opportunity with Dorothea Williams, right? Mm-hmm. This opportunity isn't changing everything for you. It's not making right. you a fully self-actualized person. Right. Yep. You still have to, like, do the hard work of not being in the zone a hundred percent of the time and still like have in those moments still enjoying and finding, you know, some sort of, uh, it's funny. The word, the words are difficult, like finding a spark at all times. Mm. Right. As opposed to only when you're playing jazz in a club. Right. Yeah. Um, which 22 figures out. It's funny. We've been talking about Joe this entire time and I feel like, the journey of 22 is like an equally important journey in the film. But um, that's the one thing that 22 is excellent at, right? Is finding sort of a spark and a reason for 
being delight, you know, being thrilled to be in any given moment. Right. Um, whereas Joe is always taught thinking about the moments that he wishes he could be having that he's not. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Totally. Well, we've been talking best parts. Any other best parts you want to go over? Uh, just, I feel like any time Joe, I mean, it's funny. We've talked a lot about what's happening on earth and we've talked very little about the great before or the great beyond, but Mm -hmm. I do feel like just the, um, just the feeling like textually tonally of the great before as an example is just delightful, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and I particularly love Terry, Mm -hmm. um, the count is off guy. Yeah. The gal, right. Um, the bean Uh, counter that, I mean, did you recognize the voice of Terry? Oh no. Who is it? It's, uh, the actress, Rachel house of like hunt for the wilder people fame and Thor Ragnarok. Wow. Right. She's the grandma in Moana. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and so at any rate, just the, the line, uh, you all are the ones that beefed it. I'm the one who's trying to unbeef it. Mm-hmm. Just will be something I say from now on. Um, nice. And so uh, just just loved the great before. Found the entire sort of environment and the Jerry's and Terry mm-hmm. to be just fantastic creations, like extremely funny. Um, and so, you know, we've mostly been talking about the stuff that's happening on Earth between Joe and 22 and jazz and all that stuff. But I do feel like uh, one of the things that makes the movie quite, you know, unique is its is its treatment of the great before. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I really liked also the um, what, what, what was the area where the, all the lost souls were? Did they give it? Was it did that have a name? Oh, uh, I don't remember what it was. It was called. like the, you know, it was like the desert of lost souls or something like that. Right. But, yeah. um, but I really liked that area too with the, with the ship. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The zany guy. I mean, it, <laughs> just it's cranking Bob Dylan. Like, as yeah, like it's, it's, it's almost a little too crazy of a like premise, but I, I still enjoyed to your point, like what you're saying about the great be- before I felt like similarly about, just the feel of that area of the yeah, world, you know? Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, but I think this is all in a way, part of me is just like, but this is just what you expect from Pixar nowadays. Right. I mean, think yeah. about like inside out. I think they had this crazy world. I think Coco, you yep. know, the afterlife yep. was just truly, you know, fantastical, Right. This this movie to me is just no different from, you know, your standard Pixar nowadays. Yeah. Um, which is a weird way of it's being like, you know, I just expect them to be like mind blowingly beautiful and amazing and interesting <laughs> and unique. Yeah. That's um. Right. So. Uh, okay. Now, how about fix the movie? I think we've we've dabbled already a little bit in this, but are there any kind of main things you would do differently about this movie? No, I, I don't, nothing comes to mind immediately. I'm, I'm sort of quickly going through the, uh, the cast list here and trying to think about, I mean, I do think that Joe having a more, um, concrete conflict that was less about just like my mom disapproves of my activities. It's like, cause that's kind of not a real conflict. It's like, mm-hmm. 
Um, it would, you know, and I don't know if it would be easier to, or not, certainly not easier. I don't know if it'd be possible to square it, but it's like, imagine if he was like physically or materially struggling, mm-hmm. right? Like couldn't afford a home or like, could you know, all of a sudden. The, yeah. Then it would make a lot more sense to me. We're having a really different conversation then about why should he continue? Why shouldn't he take the public tool, school teaching job? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, but it's sort of like he's managing to make it work. And I feel like um, with kids movies, I, I've noticed like a, a, a shockingly high number of kids movies as I've watched them with Lyndon, my daughter. Um, she like so many of them have money problems at the core of them. Mm. Right. Where it's like, it's like, well, we're going to lose the house if we don't do the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that just is such a um, maybe for a lot of kids, I, probably too high a number of kids that that's a really common fear that they have. But I feel like it's almost like, I don't know, uh, like distaste. Like it feels weird for a children's movie to like insert right. like that kind of concern as like a problem for children to have to reckon with. Right. Well, because for children for whom that's not a real risk, they're like, they don't have any concept of that. Right. Right. And children for whom it is a risk, it feels like it's probably just too close to home. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. So at any rate, like I get that it's pretty, if this movie had had a whole thing where it's like, Joe has the bills are piling up and like the tax, yeah. you know, and like the collections guy is knocking at his door. I feel like that wouldn't be a very fun movie. Right. Um, no, but, but, but that's sort of like the core problem, right? Is like, it's like art doesn't pay and therefore you shouldn't do art. He's like, but I like art. Right. Right. Um, and, and also you say art doesn't pay, but I clearly live in an apartment right. <laughs> by myself that looks fine. You know, right. To, yeah. it, it's sort of, it's funny that Pete doctor also did up, right. Or was it wrote up? You said, or I forget. He, but, uh, he directed up, he directed inside out and he okay. helped write, uh, some other ones. But in, but in the movie up, I remember like his profession is he like sells balloons <laughs> at right? the zoo. Yes. At the zoo. And it's like, but he has a house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how right and then it just you know it's just like them putting like money in like a jar over time saving up for like their big trip and i'm like i'm sorry this guy cannot afford this house there's just i don't know where they are in the world but well it was a totally it was a totally rundown house in a you know unimportant part of town and they bought it for a song i guess um Okay, I, I, I will tell you, I don't know if this is a fix the movie or not, but I was having a thought earlier about emotional impact. And I wonder if it was, I wonder if it, one of the things that created a limitation for this movie is that he he doesn't have a family. I mean, his mom, you know, sure, is, yeah. is the one family member. But other than his mom, the only real like character this movie is pretty much all about him and 22, right? Yeah. And 22, he meets in the movie. Like yeah. at the beginning of the movie, he doesn't know who that is. And then he meets her. And so the whole movie is like these two characters who have only known each other as long as the movie. Right. 
And when I think of it compared to like inside out, you know, the big emotional climax is sort of like her and her parents. Right. Yeah. Or Coco, like him and his great grandmother and her father, you know, like it's like these strong family connections that have, I feel like a lot of depth to them. Yeah. And in this film, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I have a, I just am wondering if that's part of why I didn't feel like that strongly about like the journey he goes through with 22. I'm like, they just met each other. <laughs> you know? Right. And like, they say that this character 22 has like resist, you know, I, I think it's, it's more like an idea that you sort of can accept the premise on paper, but it doesn't, she doesn't feel like a soul that's like, been in the great before for you know millennia or whatever and like met with all of these different just feels like sort of just like a like a teenager or something you know right right so it just feels like he meets a teenager and then like you know goes through this kind of journey with that character um so i guess what i'm getting at is maybe to fix the movie he could have had some more relationships that had more like history to them yeah, one would think that for him to sort of like for the for the point of the film to have a little bit more oomph to it, like if he had a relationship with or or maybe the lack of the lack of a relationship with a family member, and that you know his sort of arc over the course of the movie causes him to realize that he's neglecting an important relationship or something mm-hmm. that would that would potentially give it a little bit more power the problem with that of course is that he's less sympathetic right yeah if, yeah. if he's got like a you know a sibling or you know a child right that he's like not paying enough attention to right then all of a sudden the like, nobody, dead. then nobody likes this guy all of a sudden yeah um, so but yeah i agree there the, the stakes the stakes felt pretty low and like his journey didn't felt like he didn't have to move or change very much in order for it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess to like on that same note, like, you know, the thing when he dies, he so desperately wants to get back to earth. But like the reason he so desperately wants to get back to earth is so he can play. I mean, I'm sure anyone who's like been in that situation could probably relate, right? Like you have these dreams and, and you have this potential, but you've never really gotten the opportunity to like shine. And this is, this is it. So I don't, I don't want to like under, you know, value that. That is something that would genuinely would be incredibly, you know, heartbreaking to lose like, your big break is going to be that night. You're going to play with like a very prominent jazz person. And then you die. Right. Like I do understand, but at the same time, I think it doesn't, it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite have that weight to it for me of like when he's in the great before and it's so important for him to get back to earth compared to if say you imagine like if he did have like a child or something that he, that he, really felt like I need to get back to them, you know? Right. It's like, no, he just needs to get back to like play at a show. <laughs> you know? Right. It just doesn't feel as, Where, it and doesn't if he feel doesn't, as important. 
And if he doesn't, he will just literally be replaced yeah. by somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. It's funny. When you think about other movies where a person sort of has to like face mortality and they have to make the argument for like why they have to go back, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I, the one that is occurring to me for whatever reason is A Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where Scrooge is basically like, if I don't make things right, this boy, Tiny Tim, is going to mm-hmm. die. Yeah. Right? Like, I I have to go back to make this right. Right? And as like a viewer or as a reader, right, you're like, yes, yes, he must. He's, right? he's found boy, a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and in this one, he's like, you know, Those someone people take, in that club. <laughs> someone won't take my, my spot. Yeah. Right? Uh, it, yeah, you're right. This the stakes just feel sort of a little bit mismatched relative to what we've typically come to expect. Well, yeah, I mean, put it this way: it's like if that were his whole appeal, you would think that Jerry's or whoever's in charge back there would just be like, "Yeah, no, that's not enough to make an exception to how like all of the billions of souls have had to operate, you know, that right. have come through here." So you're going to the great after. Um, I think the reason he makes a difference is for his mentorship of twenty two, right? But yes, um, yes. But then that brings me back to like, but that relationship, I don't know. I guess I'll say one more thing about it, which is, I don't know about, I don't know about the casting of Tina Fey. I think, uh, I don't think she did a bad job. I mean, I think she did a totally fine job, but they, they sort of jokingly address it by like, see, I could sound like anything. I could sound like this. I could sound like this. I just picked this voice because it's like more annoying or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I don't know, like. This soul is, I just don't feel like a, like a, like a middle-aged adult. Sorry, I bumped my microphone. I don't feel like a middle-aged adult, like person is really the right voice to capture what's supposed to be this, like this incredibly childlike wonder at, you know, the experience of, of earth. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm probably being really unfair to Tina Fey right now. Like, like I said, I don't think she did a bad job at it. Maybe it's because I like knew it was Tina Fey and right. her personality is not exactly to be awestruck like ever, you know? Right. right. Um, so maybe that was me just like carrying some baggage into the movie. But I feel like that was maybe a little bit off for me too. That basically yeah. just the character of 22 and her voice and ha- how 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 the performance you know supported or in my view didn't quite support the message as well as it could have yeah it's funny i you know i i actually thought it was a pretty good job because in my mind it's a tough it's a tough voice to do mm-hmm. because on one hand you have to be extremely cynical and jaded and be like been there done that seen it all right right on the other hand you do need to be awed by pizza. Right. Right. Um, and so I feel like, you know, I, I put it this way. I bought it as, yeah. as like you're going through the movie. Like I bought that she could do both of, that. This voice for this person was able to communicate both extreme sort of over it Ness. Mm-hmm. Right. As well as like extreme joy at lying on top of a subway grate. Right. Um, yeah. And so I don't uh, – I'd be hard-pressed to name another voice 
who I was like, oh, that person could have done that just as well. I'm sure they're, you know, yeah, it's, just, no. it's just voice work, but like, I'm sure. You're right. But at the same time, like I, it, it, I bought it throughout the, throughout the course of the film. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're making a good point. I wasn't, I was not even thinking about so much about the fact that like for most of the movie, 22 is actually quite cynical Yeah, or, or maybe not cynical is the right word. Skeptical kind of like uh aloof. Um, right, right. But, uh, but I guess to still defend myself a little, I think it's almost like no, no, every actor is kind of known for something. Right. And like very seldom, is an actor kind of equally known for like sort of jaded, low energy roles and super excited, you know, wondrous kind of personalities. But, but I would just, I think Tina Fey is more known for, um, like low energy, sarcastic, right? Yeah. Um, versus I'm like, I think if you need a character to be both, it's kind of easier for someone who's generally high energy to kind of artificially do Go low on, energy yeah. performance than it is for someone who's just like naturally low energy to then like amp it up and do high energy, you know? Right. Right. That's just my feeling. So I just, I guess I'm thinking maybe they should have gone with someone who's like a little bit more excited and I don't know. Anyway, yep. I like, I can't think of a name off the top yeah. of my head. Yeah, it didn't totally work for you. It worked for me pretty well, but I totally, I totally understand the the point that you're making. So we came up with a few things. We came up with, uh, you know, maybe give him some sort of relationships on Earth that had a little more history to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe give him some sort of circumstance other than just going back for a show that would right. have increased the stakes of him returning to Earth. Um. I think you had one other. Did you have one other thing that you would have done? Uh, make the con. You know, is there a way to make the conflict a little bit more than my mom? Oh yeah, yeah, want yeah. Me to do this, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Imbue imbue the decision to like pursue music with slightly more consequences than yeah, my, than it has. My mom will be mad at me, right? right. And then more Terry, definitely more Terry. <laughs> Terry. Terry was a good character. I forget what they did at the end. They like, they gave Terry like a prize or something. Oh, they said, he just said, Hey, what's that over there? And she said, what, (laughs) where? And he just like moves a bead. Right. (laughs) That's right. That's right. The count is off. Um, Uh, Yeah. Just all right. So I think we've made it through all of our segments. Uh, That's right. Is it time to decide whether to beam it up? Or am I forgetting something? I think that's it. I think we've come okay. to the end. So are we going to beam it up? What do you think? What did we talk about last, Mank? Mm-hmm. Did we beam up Mank? Uh, we did. I think you said you wanted to think about it some more, and then I was like, huh. I'm just going to beam it up, even though I know that maybe I'm just beaming it up because it was David Fincher. And then you were like, all right, fine. We'll beam it up. <laughs> yeah, that seems seems about like <laughs> me. Uh, I feel like I've been pretty. Let's see. I'm going. Th- so we're. I guess we're now starting the year, right? 
So I'm realizing it. We're we're starting. We, we're, we are, are, but but Soul came out on Christmas. Day, oh, that's true. This is still 2020. 2020. Okay, yeah. so I should still compare it to all the other 2020s. Um, yeah, I I feel like we didn't do. I was like skittish on Mank. We didn't do Dick Johnson is dead. We didn't do Borat. We did do Wolf of Snow Hollow, right? I think so. We did not do Trial of Chicago Seven. You beamed up Tenet. I did not. I think we both. What are you trying to do right now, Adam? You're trying to decide whether this is worth beaming up based on whether other movies were worth beaming up. I'm comparing it. Yeah, I'm comparing. I'm like, I'm like, uh, you know, I guess at the end of this, my my heart's just not in it. Right. Yeah, mine. Neither mine. I liked it a lot, but I did. But it just as I'm thinking about the movies that really I thought were that I've uh, that I've thought were special and really, you know, warranted tons of plot, like were viewed as, you know, exceptional pieces of filmmaking. This is really, really good, but I don't think I would put it in that class. So yeah, liked I liked it a lot. Great for a, you know, great for a s- Sunday afternoon kind of watch with the kids. Right. But not probably, you know, top tier for me. All right. I agree. I wouldn't beam it up either. I th- there definitely are. There have been Pixar films I would beam up, but yeah, this for is sure. this is not one of them. Even though yes. we're both agreed, it was good, worth seeing. Check yep. it out. Yep. All right. Well, we did it. We did it. Sorry, astronaut. No soul for you. No soul for you. Enjoy Mank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So this has been another episode of Space Flicks. I'm Adam. I'm Dan. Thanks for listening. Bye.